to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Amen. Um, anyway, it's great to, to, be, to be sharing today. It's really a privilege to be to be preaching to, to you guys, and I, I don't take the pulpit lightly, and so it's really an honor to talk to you guys today, and uh, it's one week from Christmas, yeah, we're excited about Christmas, and so, you know, even I was preparing my message today, I was wondering whether I should go with a Christmas-type message, uh, but there's a message that God has really dropped in my heart, and today, um, I'm just thankful that I'm able to share with you guys, and so if, if it's okay, uh, can I be vulnerable with you guys today, you guys okay with that, and really honest? Um, so over the last few months, I've, I've really had my faith being wavered um, considerably. Um, and it's tough when you, know, when you are going on a journey and you have lies and you have all these thoughts in your head. And so over the last few months, I've really been toying with the idea of switching out of Apple and moving into the Android world. And my faith has been considerably wavered. Heresy, right? Yeah. And so I've, I've really been... Not, Thinking of buying a Google Pixel 2XL. Oh no. <laughs> oh, there's a. It's all the Apple. Apple. <laughs> You're right? And so. And this is the reason why my faith has been wavered, okay? I give you three reasons why. Okay, reason number one, right? If, the alternatives are seemingly more attractive, right? Google is now coming out with great phones, like, you know, so. so the alternatives are really becoming more attractive. <laughs> Reason number two, I've allowed myself to listen to lies. Now, because I've been searching about why Google, why I should buy Google, every time I turn on a YouTube video, all I hear is, take a selfie, take a selfie, take a selfie, take a selfie. <laughs> Sound doctrine, right? And the third reason why my faithfulness has been wavered is because I've turned my eyes to things that are less worthy. I went, to an, I went to a Singtel store yesterday and I was looking and on my left was an Apple phone, on my right was a Google phone and I saw myself looking to things that are seemingly less worthy than the Apple phone. There are two trees in the garden, one Apple, one, one Android. Um, but over the last few days, over the last few days, uh, I've been reminded by a very wise man, a very, very wise man that has a very powerful redemption story. And this man is called... Darth Vader. And he says this, I find your lack of faith disturbing. I know, right? All credits to all those who have watched Star Wars over the last few days. How many of you managed to catch Star Wars the last few days? Come on, show your hands. Come on, come on. No spoilers today, so it's okay. No spoilers. Uh, but, but jokes aside, um, this is really a message that has been really on my heart about this idea of faithfulness and what does it mean to be faithful. Right? And what does it mean to do uh, things every day? Uh, whether or not it's celebrated, whether or not it's in the hidden, whether or not it's in the mundane. What does it mean to be faithful? Right? And, and the message speaks even more volumes when you start becoming a parent. Right? The, all the diaper change, all the, in the middle of the night, you have to wake up and just to make sure that your baby uh, falls asleep and seeing through all the cranky moments. Uh, faithfulness just becomes a little bit more uh, important. 
because it's one of those things that is so uh, difficult to do, especially when you're a parent, right? So to all the parents who are seated in this room, can I just honour all of you? I, I know it's not easy and all the sleepless nights and just waking up and, and just getting to church on time and just being ready, man, it is, it is like World War Three. you know, every time in the house when you're just trying to try to get a house, just before you about leave the house, the baby poops, the baby cries, right? Uh, and so I just really want to honour all of the parents who are here in this room and I, I know faithfulness is something that is, is dear to my heart. Right, I was speaking to my live group a few weeks ago and, we're, I, and I was just telling them, if, you, if I only had one message to preach, only one, one message to preach, I would preach about faithfulness. Right? I can preach about many other things, but faithfulness would be the only one that I'll preach. Um, recently, I've been studying the life of Paul and one of the things I realized about the life of Paul, Paul is probably the greatest missionary of all time, right? Went to different cities and uh, preached the gospel to countless of people, discipled many leaders and established many church. It's very interesting to know that not, one did he met, not once did he mention in any of his letters to commission missionaries. Not once. Interesting. So read all his letters. Not once did he tell people, go and save the world. Go and travel and be a missionary. Go and, uh, you know. He, not once did he ever exhort anyone to be a missionary, but multiple, if not countless of times in the scriptures, he tells people to be faithful, to stand firm in the faith. And there is this idea of what faithfulness is that I really want to present with you this morning uh, because it's something that I really believe is important. Even more so in this season when we all start uh, re-looking at our New Year resolutions and we start charting ahead. Uh, how many of you set New Year resolutions? Anybody? Raise hands. Nobody? Okay, we, or one person kept all your resolutions? Sorry? Have you kept all your resolutions? No, not at all, right? Uh, and I know it's tough. Uh, I, I had a resolution to lose weight. Obviously, it didn't happen. I, that's the only resolution, right? <laughs> we should hang out. Um, but you know, I, I, I think the idea of every time we start thinking about the year ahead and we start charting our goals and plans, and sometimes it's so easy to feel jaded towards the end of the year because we feel like we have not uh, kept what we wanted to do. We have not accomplished certain goals that we want to do. But can I just encourage all of us today that we need to keep faithful in the things that we set our eyes and set our goals toward and just to be faithful even in the faith. Um, and whether or not you, coming to church has been easy or coming to church has not been as easy, that we remain faithful in the faith. Uh, because Paul multiple times says that, stand firm in the faith. Amen? Amen? And so today, my title of the sermon is, has got nothing to do with Darth Vader, nor Apple. Um, I'm really going to talk to you about why faithfulness is better than life. Uh, faithfulness is really better than life. Uh, but before I get into it, I'm going to introduce six myths of faithfulness that I just sort of want to present to you guys today. Um, there are six myths about faithfulness. And so I'll just go straight to it. Alright, myth number one. Faithfulness means that I must remain stagnant. Alright, myth number one. Faithfulness means that I'm... You know, we always hear the excuse and we talk to someone, oh, I just want to remain faithful at where I'm at. I just want to, you know, I just want to do... I just want to be faithful. Can I say to you that the scripture talks about faithfulness as a reference to multiplication and growth? Right? In Matthew 25, when they talk about the parable of the talents, um, we know that story, right? The master was going away for one year. He had three servants and he gave three different servants different talents. To one, he gave five. To another, he gave two. To another, he gave one. Right? He went away, came back one year later and he asked the servants, how's life? And the servant with five talents says, oh, I've grown the talent to another five. Right? And those with two grew it, the, the servant with two grew it to four. And the one with one hid the talent and did nothing about it. And to the two talents, to, to the two servants that multiplied, the talents is good and faithful. Right? So there's a scripture in Matthew 25, I put it up there. Um, so 
we don't need to read through it because I just sort of paraphrased the entire thing. But really, I want to just draw attention to the idea of when he looked at the servants that grew the talent. He says, good and faithful. So there's an idea of faithfulness where faithfulness requires growth and multiplication. It isn't about remaining stagnant. Can everyone, can we hear an amen to that? So that's a myth, right? Second myth, faithfulness means staying in our comfort zone, right? Again, similar to number one, it feels like we just want to stay where we're at. We don't want to move out of our comfort zone. Oh, you know, I just really want to be faithful. I just want to stay where I'm at. Can I tell you something? Faithfulness also requires us to get out of our comfort zone, right? We hear the story of Abraham or Abraham at the time when in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham out of his father's house, right? In 12 verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. So a faithfulness, and Abraham was, Abraham was accounted to him as a faithful man. And it required him to leave his comfort zone. What about the story of Noah? We, we hear the story of Noah, and Noah was asked to build an ark. Um, I've been trying to research about how many years from the time that Noah was uh, asked from God till the time the rain fell. Uh, historians say it's about 100 years. We don't know exactly, but we know it took a long time. It took a really long time for Noah to build an ark all the way till the rain fell. And it required a level of faithfulness. And how many of you know that he was outside his comfort zone building that ark when he was ridiculed by the people, when he was asked and he was taunted by the, the rest of the folks, why are you doing this? There's no such thing as rain. There'll never be a flood. But faithfulness required him to move out of his comfort zone. And I realized that many of us use faith, being faithful as an excuse not to do greater things. Right? We just rather stay in our little bubble and our little shell. Right, so faithfulness, myth number two, faithfulness means staying in our comfort zone. Myth number three, faithfulness equates to mediocrity. Right, sometimes we feel like there's, we, we don't need to succeed in life. We just want to remain faithful. But can I tell you something? Faithfulness is in itself what God is looking for. Right? Many of the times we look at faithfulness as a means to an end. But faithfulness is the end in itself, what God is looking for. He's looking for people with faithful hearts. Right? There's a story in the Bible that, um, that uh, baffles me sometimes, but it's a story of Justice and Matthias. It's in Acts chapter 1. Um, so in this scripture, um, to give you the context, uh, Jesus was resurrected and they were looking for the 12th disciple to replace Judas Iscariot. Right? And so they said, okay, let's look for one more person to replace Judas Iscariot. And so Peter discussed with the disciples and they decided, okay, we will narrow it down to two people. But this was the criteria they said in verse 21 and 22. It says, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us. Everyone says, with us. The entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Right, so for the criteria of choosing the apostle to replace Judas, he said, look, you know what? We need to find someone that was with us in the beginning when he, Jesus was baptized by John all the way till the time he was resurrected. Even through the persecution, even through all the challenges, even though uh, Jesus was preaching a difficult message. How many of you know that passage when Jesus preached you have to drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. And we see, the Bible says only 12 remained. So possibly that person was also there, left, but came back again. Was there at the resurrection, witnessed Jesus going up. We need to find someone who's faithful. Someone who is faithful. Even under the threat of persecution or circumstance, this person will remain. Right? And so there's something about faithfulness that God honors, that people honor. Right? Um, and so 
Even Paul says in 1 Timothy when he writes to him and he says this, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. See that it's not about Paul was picked because he was powerful and talented. God was, he was picked. Paul was picked because he was found faithful, right? And he's the man who he is because he was found faithful and God enabled him. And so there's this idea where faithfulness is mediocre. It's not. It does not equate to mediocrity. God isn't looking for the talented. Rather, he's looking for the faithful. Okay, myth number four. You guys doing okay? All right, myth number four. The reward of faithfulness is immediate and we determine the reward in our own terms. Right, so many times we read the scriptures and then we take the Bible verse it says that because I'm faithful in little, therefore I should be faithful in much. Right, and we take that scripture and we say, okay God, I've been faithful in doing the little things for the last three hours. God, you need to bless me with the much now. Right? But the reward of faithfulness is not immediate. And we do not determine the reward. And the challenge is, is we assume that the reward of faithfulness is immediate. And I read through all the, the heroes of the faith in the Bible. I read the story of Hosea. He was faithful and he married, married a prostitute. But yet it was accounted to him faithful. I read the story of Jeremiah. I read the story of Isaiah. I read all these prophets and they were accounted to them as faithful. But yet they did not receive the reward that they seemed or they thought they had. I, I think about the modern, uh, modern day men of faith like Jim Elliot. Uh, Andre P- talked about Jim Elliot in one of his sermons a few months ago where he talked about he was, in the, he was in one of the cities in South America as a missionary to a village. Uh, long story short, he was killed. Um, he didn't see the fruits of his labor, but years later his wife went back and now the, entire, the, and the city was saved because of what the wife did. But Jim Elliot was faithful, but he did not see a reward for his faithfulness. It wasn't immediate for sure. And one of the things I realized is radical Christianity is being able to stay faithful in the small decisions. It's taking small steps in obedience toward the right direction and small things over time makes the biggest difference. Proverbs 28.20 says this, A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. So there's a difference between immediacy and urgency and we sometimes take matters in our own hands when it comes to seeing a reward. There's a huge difference, right? Um, and we read the Bible of people who took action in their own hands. We read the story of Abraham and Sarah because God promised them a, a child. They says, okay, let's make a baby. Let's get a servant. And what happened? Ishmael was born, right? Moses, we know the story of Moses. He understood he had this innate passion that he wanted to release the Israelites from bondage. And what did he do? He decided to murder Egyptian and that set him 40 years being hidden in his father-in-law's backyard, looking after sheep, right? But there's this idea of what it means to, while we remain urgent, not to go into immediacy and take things into our own hands. Urgency is God taking a few thousand years for redemption after the fall of man. That's God's idea of urgency. We think about it, we read the scriptures, God, why don't you just smite Lucifer straight away? Why don't you just uh, smite Adam and Eve and create or redeem Adam and Eve straight away so that we would have a, a proper lineage from there on and we didn't have to work, Men, women didn't have to go through childbirth, uh, childbearing pains, right? What, what if, right? But the idea of God's redemption and His God's idea of urgency is, let me wait a few thousand years. Let me wait till many years later till I find the appropriate time for my son Jesus Christ to come and be born on earth on Christmas Day. Right? Maybe, and this idea of urgency to Jesus is his redemption or his coming again. It's been 2,000 years later. He's still not here. The Bible says he's coming back soon. But his idea of urgency is, wait, 
there is a time that I will come back again. And so there's a difference between immediacy and urgency. And God's urgency is people putting their life in His hands for the sake of spiritual formation and walking in the rhythm of His formation. Alright? So that is a myth that the reward of faithfulness is immediate. You guys doing okay? Yep. Myth number five. This is just my introduction, by the way. Myth number five. Faithfulness is down to our own striving and has got nothing to do with God. Right? Many times we look at faithfulness as a personal, it's a, it's a personal journey. That I need to remain faithful. I need to strive myself to remain faithful. But can I tell you something? That God is in the business of empowering you to be faithful. Right? There's a story in the Bible that baffles me and it's the story of Moses. Right? And Moses took 40 years from the time he was in his father's, father-in-law's house till the burning bush moment. Now think about it. Moses saw the Israelites being in bondage, decided to do something about it, killed the Egyptian, ran away, and was hidden for 40 years. Now, if you were God, and you realize that your people is being tortured in bondage by the Egyptians, what would you do that your first choice ran away? Find a second choice. But what God did, the faithfulness of God was He waited for Moses to be ready for 40 years, despite what was going on in Egypt. Think about it. I, I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't know why God did that. I don't know why God waited 40 years for one man to get ready. That's the faithfulness of God toward Moses. Why did he wait 40 years despite the pain and bondage that the Israelites were going through that he was ready to wait for Moses to be ready? And that's the faithfulness of God. Right? There's a scripture in the Bible that I really love. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. But in verse 2, it says this, that we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So Jesus is in the business of perfecting our faith. Jesus is in the business of making our faith more refined. And sometimes we feel like we are weak and we're struggling in our faith. Can I tell you something? It's nothing to do out of your own striving, but as long as we turn to Jesus, He is in the business of making sure that He strengthens you. Right, there's another verse, and I don't know the reference, but it says that he gives faith to the faithless. Is it in the next slide, Adora? Right, in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And that is God, that he desires all of us to be faithful, and he's willing to give us that faithfulness. He's willing to inject that faith in us. Faithfulness is not down to our own striving. Myth number six, faithfulness is my own personal journey. And it has nothing to do with other people. Right? Sometimes we think that it's just me and God, maybe. We've got that down. But faithfulness requires a partnership. And there's also a powerful verse in Hebrews 11, 39, verse 40 that I really love. Um, it says this, All these people earned a good reputation. Now give the context of Hebrews 11, right? This two verse, right? The writer of Hebrews was writing about all these great, great men of faith. He defined faith and he talked about all these great men of faith and he answered off in verse 37, 38. It says that they did not see the promise. But verse 39, they said many of them gave up their lives. They were sought into two. They were persecuted, yet they remained strong in the faith. And 39 and 40 says this, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. And it was talking about the present day, for the people in the present day, so that they, who were the people before us, would not reach perfection without us. So think about it. Paul introduces these great men of faith, and he says, look to these guys who have great faith. And if not for their faith, we would not be able to walk into our own faith. But he also says that their faith will never be completed until we walk into our own journey of faith. 
but it requires a partnership for those who walk before us and for those who walk after us. There's this partnership in faith that we need to realize happens and our faith will impact somebody else's faith. Right? I'll take John the Baptist, for example. John the Baptist's call was to usher in Jesus, right? He was a forerunner that made a way for Jesus. Can I say something? The faithfulness of John the Baptist wasn't just about fulfilling the call that he had for his life, but if John the Baptist did not fulfill his call, can I say that Jesus would not be able to enter in into the scene? The entry of Jesus Christ was pegged to John the Baptist making a way. It's an interesting thought that the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, had to rely on a prophet, John the Baptist, to make a way for him to enter in. There's this pegging of faithfulness in our journey that will impact somebody else's life. Your presence in this room today will impact somebody else's life. You know, you being here, you being active, you being present will impact someone's life. And so faithfulness is not about my personal journey, but it's knowing that I'm journeying with each and every one of you in this room. Amen? So these are just some of the myths of faithfulness that I just sort of want to establish before I get down into my preaching. But I just want to know that faithfulness is more than what we think it is. It's not just about, you know, uh, doing our own little thing. But there's so many facets of faithfulness that I want to sort of introduce. Because sometimes we're limited in our idea of faithfulness that we think it's just about working at my daily job and just doing it. But there's growth and multiplication. There is impact in the people around us. There is a journey that God is willing to partner with us so that our faithfulness is, can grow. And so this breaks down all the myths of faithfulness. Amen? Yes. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. By the way, this is one of the hardest uh, messages that I, I had to prepare because there's so many examples of men of faith in the Scripture. Many, many, many examples. There's so many references. And so it's very difficult for me to pick one. Uh, but I just went with one that I felt... Um, spoke to me, and I hope this will also speak to you. But this is the story of Acts chapter 20. Now, in verse 22 to 25. If you're there, say I. Okay, I'll just give you a context of this scripture. I'll read it first, and I'll give the context. Huh? The Bible says in 20 to verse 22, it says, And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. This is Paul writing. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in a city after city that jail and suffering lies ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Next slide. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. What a powerful statement by Paul. <laughs> for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Now, just to give you a reference to this passage, Paul had his eyes set on going to Jerusalem, right? So the verses before, it talks about him wanting to go to Jerusalem. And he was writing to the leaders of the church of Ephesus and he says, guys, I do not have time to visit you because I know if I go there, I would spend longer than I should. And I want to make it to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. But what he did was he asked them, I'm going to stop by a city that's near you in between to Jerusalem. Meet me in this city and let's talk. And so the, the church, the leaders of Ephesus all traveled to this little city and they had a little meeting and this is what Paul said to them in that meeting. Right? Of all the things that he says, this is the last time I'm going to see you. He says that explicitly, I'm not going to see you again. It is the last time that he speaks to the church leaders of Ephesus and he says this, look, my life, 
has been faithful and I've done everything that I've been assigned to do. And such a powerful thought that Paul was able to write a scripture to the leaders of Ephesus and say this, of all the things he could tell the church of Ephesus, of all the things, he says, look, I am faithful. It's almost exhorting them to also do the same, to be faithful, right? And this is the last words of Paul to the church of, of the leaders of Ephesus. And in this passage, we, look, we, can t- we can sort of have an idea of what faithfulness looked like, right? So I've got three points about what faithfulness looked like. Faithfulness looks like this. Faithfulness looks like being bound by the Spirit to the will of God. Right? If you look at the next slide, it says this in the verse, in Acts 20, 22, it says this, and now I am bound by the Spirit. It means being bound by the Holy Spirit to the will of God. And the first thing that he says to them is that, that why I think faithfulness is better in life is because we are bound by the Spirit and the will of God. Where your Spirit is gripped, and the Spirit is, has a hold of you, and so that all that you do is under the will of God. Right? We read the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? And we know that passage, and I think I have the scripture up there. Jesus says, and we know this story, He left, He brought the disciples with, that, with Him, and He prays to the Father and says, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, Your will be done. And he says that, Father, really, I don't want to do this, but I will just obey Your will anyway. Right? There's something about obeying the will of God that Jesus does, that Paul does in this scripture in Acts chapter 20, he says that I'm bound by the will of God. Now, even that sentence in itself is a double-edged sword. If we are bound by the will of God, it means that we actually listen to the will of God. It actually also means that we need to posture ourselves to understand what God is saying over our lives and what our will for, what God's will for our life is. Right? It requires that endurance, it requires that patience, it requires that listening ear. But Paul says that I am bound by the Spirit. How many of us can say that statement today, that everything that you do today is bound by the Spirit, by the will of God? You know, even as I was reading this passage and I was reflecting my year before and my year after, and I, I'm, I God, can I even say what Paul says? That I'm bound by the will of God, that everything that I'm doing now it's under the will of God. And it's so easy to be tempted by things that are more attractive. It's so easy to be tempted outside the will of God. It's easy. Just how I've been tempted by Google. But it's so easy to move out the will of God. But Paul says this, that I'm bound by the will of God. And that's what faithfulness looked like. Right? And even as we are reflecting towards the end of the year and we're, we're, we're possibly thinking of our resolutions for next year, can we ask ourselves this question? Am I bound by the will of God for my life? Is everything that I'm doing now bound by the will of God? See, faithfulness also looks like this. In point number two, faithfulness looks like trusting in God in all things. Right? In verse 20, 20, 22, it says this, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, bound in the Spirit, not knowing what shall befall me. Paul says this to the leaders. He says, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I know that I have to go, but I don't know what's going to happen before me. I may be going through persecution. I may be thrown in jail. I may be tortured. But it doesn't really matter. I'm just going, not knowing what to expect. Right? There's this idea of trusting God in a time of faithfulness. And it's tremendously freeing, especially when we talk about a Singapore dream of what it means to have stability and security and safety. There's this idea of what Paul is saying that's counter to what we believe in the Singapore dream of trusting in God in all things. This text reminds, reminds us that God requires of us is not about having to be able to make things work, but trusting in Him in all things. 
Right? Success in human ventures is not the measure of God on our life. But what God requires of us is that we are faithful to Him even though the chips are down. It's about trusting Him. You know, I want to reference the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Adam and Eve had a choice to trust God completely. They were beholding two trees and it was so explicit that God says, do not eat of one tree. You can eat from this tree but not of another tree. Do not eat from the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they had a choice to obey God. They had a choice to trust God. But the enemy was so clever and where he seeded doubt and says, did God really say it? Do you really think that you know, nothing will happen to you? And there's all these doubts that the enemy seeds. And they fell. And they did not trust God. That God knows the best. And here's the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He also had a choice of not to do the will of God or to do the will of God. And yet in that moment of affliction, even in that moment of knowing that the pain he was going to go through would be insurmountable, he says this, Jesus, God, I trust you. I will do your will. Right? Faithfulness looks like trusting in God in all things. You know, even um, for, for, for Mel and I, even with the baby, one of the thoughts that we had is about the fact that God can speak to our baby. Right? Even as young as she is, that God can speak to her. And one of the thoughts that we, we, we've been talking about is can we God, trust God even over the life of our child? It's, it's, it's really bizarre because she's two months old, you know, she doesn't know a thing. You know, we need as parents to, to supervise and to, you know, and to do all these, you know, and just to be micromanagers over the, the, the life of our baby. But one of the things that we've been relying is, God, can we trust you in the life of our child? That everything that we do, we say, God, teach us, tell us what to do, that we can trust the development of this baby. Nothing to do out of our own strength, out of our own will, but we say, God, we trust you right? Um, even, even this year, even like, you know, um, after the we, end of last year, I had a word of knowledge from Sean, Sean Boltz and it's so easy to take that word of knowledge and scribble all these things and then just sort of take that into, oh, okay, I'm, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this and just sort of take my own initiative to go ahead of God, right? Such great prophetic words, man, I'm going to so, totally rule this year, you know? But what does it mean to trust God even in prophetic words that sit over you? What does it mean to trust God in His timing? Trusting God is such an example, uh, such a powerful example of faithfulness. And I, I, can I encourage all of us to really trust God even for the year that's ahead? I don't know whether or not you had a good year. I don't know whether or not this year was a fantastic year for you. But can I encourage you, even as we step into the new year, even as we step into that season of 2018 that we says, God, I will trust you in everything that I do in the business decisions, in the way I run my family, in the way I think about my career, in the way I build my relationships, that I trust God. Paul says this, I don't know where I'm going. I don't, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm just going to go anyway. It's Abraham when he said, when God looked at Abraham and says, leave your father's house. And Abraham said, okay. It's Abraham when he had to think of sacrificing Isaac at that very mere point that he trusted God. Point number three, faithfulness looks like this, not forsaking Christ even in affliction. Verse 23, Paul goes on and says that there's one thing he does not know about tomorrow, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. How many of you can, can say this, that I will remain faithful even though I know afflictions is ahead of me, that I will go with it, right? Um, I don't mean to preach a gloomy message during Christmas, 
But I just want to bring on the point of faithfulness and how important faithfulness is. And I'm not predicting that next year will be doom and gloom. I'm not predicting any of these things. I think next year will be a fantastic year as long as you walk in, under the will of God. But why I'm saying this, we need to develop faithfulness in this time. We need to strengthen ourselves and gird ourselves with faithfulness even though um, it's a good year. We just need to establish faithfulness because when affliction comes, when pain comes, when, when things that we think will never happen, happen to us, that we know that we can stand firm in the faith. Just as Paul encourages the churches and all the letters that he writes, that even though affliction and imprisonment await me, I will still go. And Paul says that faithfulness is better than life. I remember when my, my dad passed away when I was 18 years old, and you you'd think that the world is over. Right? I don't know whether we've gone through afflictions just because we had so many prophetic words that were said over us, your dad will be healed, your dad's going to be okay. And you take that literally. You take it literally and you say, I stand in faith knowing that God can heal my father. But years later, he passes away and then you start questioning and you have doubts over your head. And you're thinking, God, can I really trust you? Even in the afflictions that I'm going, going through, can I really trust you? Can I say this, that God is always faithful? I don't know whether I shared this over the pulpit about my dad's passing. Did I? Did I? No? Oh, wow. I, I thought I did. <laughs> okay, long story. I, I never prepared it, but I'll share it anyway. So 15 years old, I found out my dad has cancer. 18 years old, he passed away, although the doctors gave him six months to live. Right? And my father was a good man. He was a pastor in the church, full-time worker, had no signs. He was a healthy man, no signs of feeling sick, had cancer. And three, years, three and a half years later, he passed away. Um, in those times, of course, I was so dependent on, on people encouraging me. And I said, God, you got to heal my father. There would people come to the hospital ward and they would pray over him and they would sense healing. And even in three and a half years, I mean, it was a miracle that he lasted three and a half years. He was supposed to, he only had six months to live. But three and a half years later, he passed away. And I think it's the grace of God that allowed him to, to live this long. And I remember speaking at his eulogy. Now, my entire family is saved except for one person in the entire family. So both my extended family and my mother's side were all saved. All the extended family on my father's side were also all saved except for one person and that's his mother. His mother is saved, uh, not saved, right? And so I remember when he, we found out he passed away and we announced the news to everybody. My, my grandmother went hysterical. She was weeping, she was crying and she's, she, said in, she said in Cantonese, uh, you know, how can, I, how can my son go before me? It's not right. And, you know, and seeing all these things. Met hyster hysteria in, in the hospital. And so I shared in the eulogy and of course I was expecting that my grandmother to be saved but she didn't. But a month later, um, my grandmother fell sick. And then she was in the hospital bed and she was asking us, why were we so peaceful? Now, my grandmother only communicates in two languages, Cantonese or Mandarin. And even then, her Mandarin is terrible, right? And then this was a trouble, right? Because I can barely communicate with my grandmother, barely. Lo and behold, uh, my brother at that point of time, who, she, he's not married to her, dated a person. And my brother's Chinese and my Chinese are the same, we're terrible. Super Tia Kantang, we both failed our Mandarin, we barely got through it. He decided that he wanted to date a Chinese teacher, which is bizarre in its own right. Right? And so he was dating a Chinese teacher. Um, and so at that point of time, um, while they were dating, I looked at her and said, hey, we need you. And she speaks Cantonese also, brilliant Cantonese. And so can you, do the, can you talk to my grandmother about salvation? And my, my, now my sister-in-law said, okay. When talked to my grandmother, I've never, I've, I mean, they were talking and my grandmother was crying. And then I don't know what they were saying, but apparently she said the sinner's prayer. They prayed and she got saved. Right? Um, 
and then she, she told us one of the things that my sister-in-law said to her was along the lines of there's a peace of God. There's a reason why you think our family... And also my grandmother accused all of us of being unfilial because we did not weep during my father's funeral. Right? We, we didn't weep. We didn't... We, I mean, of course we cried, but we weren't like, oh my gosh, it's devastation. It's the end of the world. Right? And so my grandmother scolded all of us for having this... You guys were laughing in the funeral. She said all these different things. Fans come out and talk and then you laugh, right? Um... And so she had all these accusations against us. But one, one month later when she fell sick, my sister-in-law told her, because we have the peace of God. And she accepted Jesus Christ one month after my father passed away. And, and, and I looked at it and I says, God, w- was it worth it that my father passed away? I mean, I don't know why my father passed away, but is it worth it? At the end of the day, I said, it is because I trusted in you, even in that situation that now my grandmother is safe. Now, my, my grandmother is a staunch Buddhist and she's a chain smoker. When I say chain smoker, she is a chain smoker. One day later, the moment she accepted Christ, two things happened. She taught on every single idol in the house immediately. Second thing that happened is she stopped smoking immediately. Immediately. It's a miracle of God. And it is amazing. So I look back and says, is it worth it that my father had to pass away for the salvation of my grandmother? It's still difficult to say, of course it is. But I know that there's a purpose and reason that God takes us through. And as long as we trust in, in our journey with God. And not forsaking Christ in affliction. And I remember that was the one that jolted me back into faith. So during that journey of my father's passing, while I would still attend church, I'll be one of those uh, young adults that would stand and sit. Nothing wrong by sitting at the back of the church, by the way. Nothing wrong. But I would always sit at the back of the church closest to the door so the, I would always come in 15 minutes before uh, after service start and I always leave 15 minutes before service end you know I would be one of those guys I just come in just sort of mark attendance because you know my father was the pastor of the church and plus you know and all these different things so I'll just mark attendance I'll sit at the back just before service end I'll just walk off and not join my the community for lunch or whatever again nothing wrong with people sitting in the back it's okay <laughs> nothing wrong <laughs> nothing wrong but because of that incident, and I saw the faithfulness of God, I said, God, you're, you're real. You're really real. And even despite the afflictions, even despite not knowing what's going to happen, there's this idea of faithfulness that God is perfecting in, in, in my life and in each of our, every one of our life. One, thing about what, one more thing, why, what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness looks like finishing the race. Paul says in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may accomplish my cause. Um, In the version I put up in the screen, it says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And Paul says this, it doesn't really matter. I just want to finish the race that God has set before me, that God has assigned for me. And this, Paul says this in so many, different ver- uh, so many different times in the Bible. In 2 Timothy verse 4, 7, 8, it says this, um, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who loved his appearing. Right? There's this idea of what Paul says, that fight the good fight. Walk the race that you're walking. Finish it. Finish well. Remain faithful. Faithfulness is better than life because beyond this short life, there is a great life of joy that stretches out forever into eternity. 
I know there's this uh, sermon that um, Francis Chan does. Francis Chan is this speaker that I really like. And he'll take a long rope. He's got great analogies. Huh? He'll take a super long rope and then he would colour one tip of the rope. Have you all seen this before? Yeah, some of you, some, some may not have seen. And he'll, he'll preach about this idea of where life is like this entire length of the rope and then or, or eternity is this entire length of the rope and our life is just this little fragment of that rope. And he talked about how we are always so uh, concerned about this little short fragment of the rope when actually there's so, such a long life of eternity that we can look forward to. There's this idea of what it means to keep faithful, knowing that we will have fought the good fight. We run the course that we are supposed to run and there's a crown of righteousness that the Lord Jesus Christ will give us on the day of His appearing. And it's such a powerful truth. And my encouragement to all of you is, let's walk this, run this race of faith that we're running. And all of us have our, our own race, all of us have our own course, and to stay that course and to run this, run this race with faith. I was just talking to, I mean, when we were talking and I was sharing this with my life group a few weeks ago, I was just saying that it, it, it hurts me because I know many people that I grew up with in church who have fallen out of the gospel, who have fallen out of church. Then I pray to God that many of them would, would one day come back to God, would one, one day come back to church. But I know many people who have fallen out of the faith because of different circumstances, because of different reasons. But can I encourage all of us that even in the day of His appearing, when I look up that I will look at all your faces who are seated in this room, that we will be together forever in eternity. For those who don't like each other, well, now is a good time to start. Because we'll be with each other for eternity. But that is my encouragement as a community, that we will walk this race and at the end of time, that when I look, I'll still see Andre, I'll still see PD, I'll still see Mel, I'll still, I'll still see all of you. There's so many verses in the Bible that talks about it. Matthew 24, 13, it says, He who endures to the end will be saved. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, The slight momentary affliction is working for us, an eternal weight of a glory behind all comparison. Matthew 5, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 19, 29, no one has left anything for my sake and the gospels will not receive back a hundredfold. Last one, John 12, 25 says, he who hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. There's this idea of what holds for us if we stand faithful, if we keep being faithful, when we keep running the race that we're running. And my encouragement is, even as we approach the end of the year, even as we approach 2018, that we'll remain faithful, that we'll stand strong. My encouragement to us as a community, that we'll encourage one another to stay faithful in the race that we're running, to keep encouraging one another. In Hebrews 10, it talks about encouraging one another in the faith. It says, hey, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. You know, I was uh, asking a few people last week a trivia question because I was preparing for my sermon. And there's this question about, in, in uh, Revelation 21, it says that, in the city of the wall of the New Jerusalem, there are 12 foundations or 12 pillars of all the 12 apostles' names being written in that pillar. So the question is, whose name is on the 12th pillar? Is it Judas Iscariot? Probably not. Is it Matthias? Maybe. Uh, someone threw a curveball and says, it's Paul. Paul is the 12th apostle. I, I don't know. I don't know. My first intuition it was, it is Matthias. Right? probably Matthias says he was the 12th apostle. Some might think it's Paul. I don't know. We don't know the answers. We'll get to heaven and we'll find out. But if it's Matthias or even if it's Paul, and I think about the life of Matthias, nothing was mentioned about Matthias before 
Acts chapter 1. Nothing was mentioned about Matthias after Acts chapter 1. Who is Matthias? He was just a man who was there at the time of the baptism of Jesus. He was just there in the time of journeying with Jesus for three and a half years. He was there when Jesus was resurrected three and a half years later. He was there. He was present. Could it be just because of his faithfulness, just because he was there and he was present, that God commanded the angels, hey, that 12 pillar, just scratch off Judas Iscariot's name. Maybe you should put Matthias' name there instead. That now Matthias' name is up in the pillar because he remained faithful and stayed faithful in the race that he was running. Could it be? I love the fact that the criteria for Matthias isn't about the fact that he was an eloquent speaker who performed miracles, that he was talented, that he was this, 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 this. It was accounted to Matthias that he was faithful walking with Jesus despite it all. And possibly, in Revelation 21, his name is on that pillar, Matthias. There's Peter, there's James, there's John, and there's Nathaniel, and there's all these great men of faith who did all these great miracles, who were all persecuted for their faith. And in that little pillar on the side, maybe it's on the side, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. But the 12th pillar, there's an individual called Matthias because he was faithful. Right? What does it mean for us, you and I? It means that we have to be faithful. We have to stand firm in the faith. I don't know if any one of us are feeling wavered even in the last few years of our Christian walk, we feel like we're tired and we're growing weary. Can I say this to you? That God is in the business of perfecting your faith. I really want to end off in that note that we can be faithful because God is faithful. And He's faithful till the end. We're going to cue the worship band and we'll sing that song. And I will sing of what you've done. But think about it. I've, I've grown up in, as a Christian and I've grew, I, I grew up in church, but one of the things while growing up, growing up in church is I had to lie to me that everything, I had to strive to work out my, my faith. I, I, I had, to, I had to, to pinch myself to work it out. I had to like do everything and I had to feel condemned and guilty if I made a mistake. And I, so I grew up in that environment. I grew up in that posture. And it was a, such a freedom when I read Hebrews chapter 12 when the Bible says, that He is in the business of perfecting my faith. It means that every time that you're going through struggles, every time you're going through challenges in your faith, that all we need to do is look to Jesus, the perfecter, the author of our faith. He wrote it and He's ready to finish it for you. He's ready to establish your faith and all we need to do is look to Him, Jesus. And I think about it, the only reason why I can do that is because He is faithful. Even when I think I have, I have no more faith, even when I think that I have no more strength, He is faithful till the end. And that is the beauty of faithfulness. The beauty of faithfulness is not because it's something that I have to do on my own. It's because I know I can trust God in it. And He's totally unwavering. So today, this morning, and I don't know whether you're here today and you feel like you're wavering slightly or you feel like there's no more strength, can I say, hey, God will be your strength. Amen. Can I just invite all of us to stand up this morning? Again, I, I don't know where, where you're at this end 2017. And I, know, I don't know whether there have been circumstances that have been challenging you and challenging your faith. Can I say that even as we close the year, a few more weeks till the end year, that we just begin to re tune and realign our thoughts and says God I look to you 
that you are the one that strengthens me, that you are the one that strengthens me and gives me faith. So wherever you're at, just begin to look to God and says, God, I look to you. You are the one that perfects my faith. You know, I'm just going to read Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. And even as I read it, just begin to focus and look to Jesus, who is the one that perfects our faith. It says, verse 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God, we look to You. You are the one that perfects our faith.